Salt Company. Hey, who's excited to be here at kickoff tonight? Come on. Come on, you guys can take a seat. You can take a seat. If you didn't get a seat, we are so sorry. How tragic. You guys can take a seat. It's going to take a second for the people up front. All right. Yes. We are back, people. Does it not feel so good to be back? All right. Well, it is good to be with you guys. My name is Tony. I am so thankful to be with you. Tonight, we're going to be opening up the Bible and turning to Romans chapter 5. That's where we're going to be camping out. But guys, also, it is going to be hot and you're going to be close to people. So just don't rub off on each other, you know. Just don't put your sweat on other people for PSA for the friend next to you. Well, guys, this spring... This spring, we've got some incredible things coming up. First of all, we are doing two BWPs. Come on. Two baptism services. And that is because, as of right now, there are 47 people in our ministry that want to get baptized this spring. Praise God. Praise God. Another fun announcement for the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a series called Peace with God. As we look at what it looks like to have peace with him through Romans 5, 6, and 7. I cannot wait for that. Last personal announcement before we jump in is that in the June of 2024, my wife and I are having a baby boy. Let's go. That's right. Little Lee just running around all over the place. We might name him Brock. Brock, no, nah, I'm kidding. Come on. All right. I'm not a dad, you know. It's a dad joke. Brock Lee. Come on, guys. That's a funny joke. You're welcome, okay. Goodness, loosen up a little bit. What are you, tight? Broccoli, my wife said no, absolutely not, so we will not be naming our child Brock. But he's gonna be stinking cute and you better know it, so pretty excited. Pretty excited to be a dad. I should probably pray and get this started, huh? Okay, let's do that. Let me pray and ask Jesus to move tonight. Father, it's nights like this that Man, Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's the sense that I get in moments like this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of college students all around the city of St. Paul and beyond to come here to hear what it looks like to follow King Jesus. Father, thank you that tonight is no ordinary night. Thank you that you have been faithful to us. Thank you that your name will be lifted high tonight. It is not about Salt Company. It is not about any of us in this room. But tonight exists as an altar to bring you glory. So, Father, you have been faithful to us. You have been kind to us for years on end. And, Father, I pray that tonight the spirit would fall heavy in this room, that there would be a power that is outside of any person in this place, and that you would move in a mighty way. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. In your name we pray, amen. All right, if I asked you, what was the one word that would describe your human experience, what would it be? Okay, let's start with tired. How are we doing? Tired? Any tired people? Guys, I'm not going to lie. I slept nine hours last night. I'm not tired. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling energized. All right, how about stressed? 
Got any stressed people? Oh, school, yes. Yeah, exactly. Woo, stress, yes. My Garmin every day says, uh, your recovery is delayed due to high stress levels. And I'm like, <laughs> makes me more stressed. It's horrible. Why do I wear this thing? Tragic. How about fine? Would you answer the word fine? Ooh, that's a tough, that's a bad look for you. I mean, if I'm like, how are you doing? You're like, fine, okay. That's tough. How about fun? We got any fun people in the room? Oh, yeah. Nick Miller would be like, it's Tuesday night. Let's do something crazy. You're that friend, you know? Fun people. Fantastic. Here's what would be my guess. In a room full of 800 people, here's what would be my guess. That not a single person in this room would use the word peace. That not a single person in this room, if they were honest with themselves, would use the word peace to describe their lived experience. And guys, as I think about my own life, honestly, a huge part of who I am as a person, this is so unfortunate, is that I am prone towards anxiety and fear. My tendency when life gets hard is to get really anxious about my future and to not be at peace within myself. So I don't know about you, but I have spent my entire life looking for peace. And I don't think that's just true of me. I think that's true for the entire world. Guys, we fight wars to accomplish peace. We fight injustice so that the powerless can have peace. We kill ourselves on the altar of corporate America so that one day when we're 65, we can finally have peace when we're too old to enjoy it. Tragic. But an entire culture is looking for peace. I've never seen a more anxious and afraid and angsty culture, and yet here we are. And the way our culture tries to remedy that is by asking you to pursue a path of peace with yourself. And the way they do that is by saying, hey, as long as you affirm yourself and you accept yourself, then you will have true inner peace. But as we look around in our culture, especially in this generation, we are a generation of people who desperately desire peace and yet are so anxious and afraid, are we not? So the question that I have for you tonight, Saul Company, is what if your greatest need is not peace with yourself, but what if it, your greatest need is peace with God? What if you need is more than to look in the mirror and say, I love you, but what if what your soul is craving is to look at a God who said, I died for you? So that's the journey we're gonna take for the next three weeks. We're gonna ask the question, what does it look like to have peace with God? And as you open up your Bibles to Romans chapter five, that's where we're gonna to be tonight. The two-part question that I have for you is how do we get true peace? Not the fake flimsy peace that culture wants to offer you or any other ideologies can offer you, but true peace that cannot be taken from you. And then how does it transform us? Romans chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to gift you one for free after the service. Romans chapter 5 is about 85% of the way through your Bible. The verse will be on the screen. Romans 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to come back to being justified by faith at the end of this sermon. But what Paul sets up here is a beautiful, simple theological construct. That if you want peace with God, the only way to get that peace is through Jesus. Now that word is incredibly important, through Jesus, because here's what the entire biblical narrative has been building up to. That the only way to accomplish true peace in your soul is through Jesus. 
The only way to be truly loved is through Jesus. The only way to truly live is through Jesus. And the only way to be saved is through Jesus. This next part is really important. I want you to write this down. That you cannot have the peace of God without peace with God. Look, guys, our culture wants that peace. Our culture wants to be able to look into their souls and say, I have peace with who I am and who I was created to be. But you cannot have peace of God without peace with him. And let me tell you about the peace of God, man. It hits different, okay? Here's what marks the peace of God. It's a peace that cannot be taken from you by anyone or anything else. Listen. The culture's definition of peace is a felt experience, okay? It's you sitting on the beach in Maui with a margarita. Like, that's the vision of peace that culture gives you. It's this felt experience. It's like, oh, I feel at peace. Ooh. You got, like, you know, essential oils in the background. You know what I mean? Like, you're smelling it. You're like, I smell the peace. I feel the peace. I am the peace. Like, you feel it? That's what our culture wants for you is they want you to feel a sense of peace. Here's what the peace of God is. It's not something that you feel. It's something that you are. It is an identity so deeply rooted in how God loves you that it is not something that can be taken from you in a moment, but it's something to rest in for a lifetime. That is the peace of God. Second marker of the peace of God is this. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Guys, the peace of God be crazy, okay? Because here's why. Here's why. There are moments in your life as a Christian when you're in so much suffering, so much pain, so much turmoil, and yet you can have peace. Makes no sense. It's a crazy kind of peace that is different from any other worldly peace. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. And the last thing I want to say about the peace of God is that it is powerful. Listen, the peace of God is a weapon to fight for joy, to fight for hope, to fight for life in hard seasons. Listen, I am so sick and tired of Christians playing defense, okay? We have the peace of God in our souls. We can trust him. We can seek hope and faith and life even in really broken scenarios. This is the peace of God. But you cannot have the peace of God without peace with him. But so come to here's the problem for everyone in our culture right now and for many of you in this room. We want the kingdom without the king. We want the blessings of Jesus without believing in Jesus. And we want the peace of God without actually knowing him. And I just want to be really clear with you tonight. You cannot find peace with God or the peace of God through Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or Stoicism or atheism or your favorite self-help influencer. You cannot find true peace through the college lifestyle, through self-expression, through sexual freedom, through identity politics. You cannot find it in your achievements, your accolades, your performances, your brand, your social media presence. You cannot find it in your parents' approval or attention or from the opposite sex or freedom. And here's why. Because every other type of peace is situational and circumstantial, but the peace that Jesus wants to give you is forever. 
It's eternal life, man. What he wants to give you is not just momentary felt experiences. He wants to give you an identity so deeply rooted in him. That as Christian, you can say the pressure and the persecution of this life, it is a privilege because I have the peace of God. And listen, this is why maybe some of you are here tonight. It's not because you like coming to moments like this. You're probably, frankly, 100% freaked out right now. Like, not even a little. You're like, why is this crazy Asian guy yelling at me for 30 minutes? That's probably your thought. I would be thinking the exact same thing. It's just true. Maybe the reason why you're here is not because of a Chick-fil-A sandwich. It's not because of some community. It's not because of a social media post. Maybe the reason why God has brought you here today is you have spent the last 20 years of your life searching for true peace and it's only left you anxious and afraid and empty. Maybe what you've been looking for your entire life and you didn't even know it was the peace of God. But let me make it really clear to you tonight. You cannot have the peace of God unless you have peace with him. And guys, I am so passionate about this because honestly, I've been following Jesus for nine years, okay? which is almost a decade for you math geeks, shout outs, almost a decade. Some of you guys are only two times that. You're like 18. Guys, I used to have an iPod. Holy cow. Wow, I'm an archaic soul. I mean, honestly, some of you guys are like, what's an iPod? Yeah, it's this thing that came before an iPhone. I mean, it's this whole technological revolution. You can have it in your, anyways, that's fine. I don't have to explain this to you. I've been following Jesus for nine years. I'm a pastor, which means I get paid to read the Bible. Like that's literally what I get paid to do. And yet I am an addict trying to find peace everywhere except Jesus. Like, guys, this is who I am inherently. When I get anxious, when I get afraid, I go to my yellow couch that we have in our living room. I go to Netflix. I go to Jack's Frozen Pizzas. I mean, it's just true. That's where I go. Taco Bell's Cravings Box. I mean, you guys know. It's delightful. I go to Sin. I go to comparison, I go to insecurity, I go to try to proving myself. I will try literally all those things before I go to Jesus. That's just true of who I am. And repentance looks like for me in my life, saying, Jesus, I am afraid, I am anxious, I am weak, I am tired, I am exhausted, and I'm going to run to you. And I say that because I'm like, man, some of you are in the room and you're like, wow, it has been a minute. Like the last time you we were in an environment like this wasn't December 7th when we finished our semester. It was like two years ago. It was three years ago. It was five years ago. The last time you opened your Bible and you met Jesus was months ago. And you're asking yourself the question, will Jesus ever take me back? Am I too far gone for the grace of God? And if someone who's been following Jesus for almost a decade, shout outs, a pastor can say that in my flesh, I'm so quick to run everywhere else except Jesus for the peace of God. My invitation for you is this. He is really good at receiving back broken sinners who need him. And so tonight can be the night you come back home. Tonight can be the night that you can come back to the living water who will never run dry. To the spirit of God who wants to fill you up. To the power of God who wants to give you peace. Tonight can be the night you come back. So question number one, how do we experience true peace? It is through Jesus alone. Question number two, how does it transform us? Verse two says this, through him, 
we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Top 10 banger chapters in the Bible, I'll say it. It's so good. Some of you guys are going to put this as your Instagram bio after this sermon. I mean, you are. I mean, it's, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying it's a good one. Better than Jeremiah. Anyways, so I'm kidding. Come on. Come on. Don't be offended. We still love you if that's your Instagram bio. I just offended like 100 people. Like that was like a tough hit. Come back next week. I probably won't say that exact singer again. All right, move on. We're bringing it back. Here's what Paul says. Through him, we have attained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So I'll come to you. If you're a Christian, here's what is true. You do not stand on false gospels. You do not stand on religion. You do not stand on ideology, social structures, or power structures. Here's what you stand upon. The grace of God. And let me tell you, it is a firm foundation. Amen? Amen. When you stand on his grace, here's what is true. You could not earn it, so you're not afraid to lose it. You could not get it by yourself, so you're not afraid that your sin will disqualify you. When you stand on the grace of God, you experience a firm foundation that you are made for. Listen, this is what the peace of God provides. A firm foundation to stand upon. And I love what Paul says. We stand on the grace and we rejoice in our hope. So I'll come here's what's true. We are a people of rejoicing. Listen, if you have stood on the firm foundation of your king, you get to rejoice in hope. People often ask when they come to Salt Company for the first time, like, why do people worship like that? Honestly, initially, it's a little freaky. I'll say it. I'll say it. Why do people cry during one song and then they're like, praise? You know, they start the thing, the next song, and they're like, why is this building going to break down and I'm going to die in this place? Like, that's what people think, and it's a terrifying experience. And here's often what I tell them. The reason why we worship like that is because we have stood on grace. We know what it's like to stand on the firm foundation. We know that everything else in life will fail us. But we stand on something who never will. Saul Company, why would you build your life on anything else? Why would you build your life on comfort and convenience and your dreams, your aspirations? Why would you build your life on pleasure and sexual sin when you can stand and build your life on the grace of God? And let me tell you, everything else will fail you, but that never will. I know what Paul says here next. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so here's my question for you. Even in the hardest times, how can we hold on to hope? In the breakups, how can we hold on to hope? In the disappointments, how can we hold on to hope? When your relative dies, how can you hold on to hope? In the seasons of depression and anxiety, how can you hold on to hope? Here's what is true if you're a Christian. We can hold on to hope because we believe that God is holding on to us. 
See, the life of the Christian is that we do not walk this life alone, no matter how lonely you feel, no matter how isolated you feel, the God of the universe is walking with you. So we hold on to hope. And you know what that makes us, all company? It makes us incredibly resilient people. In a world of fragility that says suffering will break you, here's what the Christian life has been for the last 2,000 years. We do not believe that suffering will break you. We believe that suffering will build you. That the type of person that you are designed to be with the resilience and endurance and the character and the hope that you are made for is forged in the crucible of suffering. And so instead of saying to God, God, give me a comfortable life, we say to God, help me endure suffering with you. Verse 3 says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. Guys, I want you to notice something. Paul doesn't say that we survive suffering. That's culture. He doesn't say we medicate suffering. That's addiction. He doesn't say that we accept suffering. That's Buddhism. He says we rejoice in suffering, Christian. He says that when we experience suffering, we rejoice. Why? Because we can trust that the suffering is not senseless. That the suffering of this life is making us into people who look more like Jesus. But even more than the people it's making us, here's also what suffering does. It brings us to the feet of Jesus. There's a woman named Corey Tenboom. She's goaded. So if you know about her, she's amazing. She was a Dutch Christian that knew, loved, and followed Jesus in the time of World War II. She would hide Jews in her house as the Nazis would come to check on their houses, to take Jews, to bring them to concentration camps, to kill them. She did this for two years in the name of Jesus. And they caught her. So they brought her to a concentration camp with her father and her other sister. Her father died a couple days in too weak to handle the brutality of the concentration camp. And so here, Corey and Bitsy found themselves in a concentration camp for 10 months with abuse and torture, imprisonment, starvation. And then here's what they did. They actually smuggled in a little Bible. And in the evenings, after days of forced labor and brutality, they would open up that little Bible so that the other woman in the concentration camp could hear about the hope that they had in Jesus. Twelve days before Corey Ten Boom was released from the concentration camp, her sister Betsy died. And in the darkest day of her life, here's what she said. There is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. See, Betsy had met Jesus. And she knew that even though the suffering of this life was so real. That she had met Jesus in the suffering. Twelve days after that, Corey Tenboom would be providentially released on a clerical error. Seven days after she was released, many of the women that she shared the gospel with and they accepted would be sent to the gas chamber. 
but they didn't die without hope. And Corey Ten Boom said this, as she remembered the time that she spent in the concentration camp. Here's what she said. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. So here's my encouragement for you. If you are in a season of deep suffering, the Ten Boom sisters understood something really beautiful about life. That better than a comfortable life, better than a convenient life, better than an easy life was a life of suffering with King Jesus. They had met Jesus in the suffering. And my hope would be that this group of people this spring would see the suffering in our lives, not as something to break us, but to build us. We would see that God is using the suffering to make us into people who look like Jesus. And that it is in the suffering seasons that you would have the most intimate encounters with him. Okay, so as I call the worship band back up, here's how I want to review our time together. True peace comes through Jesus alone. You cannot find true peace in the college lifestyle, in atheism, in Buddhism, in Hinduism. The only true peace that you could ever find is through Jesus. You cannot have the peace of God without peace with him. And the second thing is that suffering makes us resilient. If you're here and you know Jesus, we stand on the grace of God. And so no matter what life throws at us, we can trust that that suffering is making us look more like him. Okay, so that's the good news. Here's the bad news. The bad news is you only need peace when you're at war. Look with me in verse 6 of Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. This is so good. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his life for us. And that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have not been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him and from the wrath of God. For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Four words I want, to, I want you to remember for the rest of your life. Whether or not you find yourself in a Christian environment like this again. Whether or not you come back to Salt Company next week. What I want you to remember for the rest of your life is four words. While we were enemies. See, Saul, in our culture, we tend to think that human beings are inherently good and deserving of salvation as long as you're a good person, that you deserve heaven. But what we misunderstand is that without Jesus interceding for us and advocating for us, we are at war with God. We are his enemies. And let me make this unbelievably clear that on the day that you die, if you are an enemy of God, you will lose. Your sin has made you an enemy of God. And the greatest war in human history is not the North and the South, the Allies, the Nazis. It's not America and Britain. The greatest war in human history is fought on a spiritual battlefield between our sin and God's holiness. And I know that might sound sharp and harsh. 
but I want to have the courage to tell you what I'd want a pastor 18 years from now to tell my son if he's sitting in a salt company somewhere that in your sin in your flesh in who you are you are an enemy of God and if you die an enemy of God you will die in your sins and spend eternity apart from him but I'd also want to tell him the good news that that same God that we're enemies of would be so gracious to send his son to die so that we wouldn't have to. We deserve death on the battlefield of our sin and his holiness, and yet Jesus took upon himself our sin so that we could be holy. He took upon our death so that he could, he took upon our death. Where was I going with that? I think you understand the premise, but I'll go back to my notes. But this is the great exchange that we who are enemies, instead of dying for our sins, would actually experience life in Christ. So I want you to hear this really clearly tonight, that this is the gospel, that your sin makes you an enemy, but his grace makes you an heir. The sin that should have brought you death in the battlefield, he took upon himself and died in your place so that you could have eternal life. See, many of, the reason, many of you are here and the reason why you're not at peace with yourself and at peace with others is because ultimately you are not at peace with God. And you have walked into this room tonight, an enemy of God, dead in your sins, far from him, and maybe even afraid of what he would say to you. But here's my invitation for you tonight, the same invitation that Jesus gave me nine years ago. And that is that two words can shape the rest of your life and all of your eternity. And that's Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So I'll come here are the two words that I need you to understand. It is by faith that though you might have walked in here an enemy, you can walk out an heir. Though you might have walked in here lost, you can walk out found. Though you were dead in your sins, you can be alive in Christ by faith. See, the invitation for you tonight is simple. Would you believe in the one who died for you? Would you believe in the one who died so that you who were once an enemy could be made an heir in Christ? Would you leave this place brand new? So I'll come to you, I believe that tonight, many of you are in this room and you have walked in your enemies of God, not even knowing that what God had planned for you tonight was not just a night of worship, not just a night of community, but what he had planned for you tonight is that you will leave this place no longer an enemy, but an heir by faith so there's some of you in this room tonight that need to hear that that the God of the harvest wants to call you home that by faith you can experience eternal life in Christ let me pray that God would do that Father I still remember that Wednesday night that I walked into a room like this and I was an enemy of God. I didn't even know, but I was chasing after my sin, my desires, my wants, my pleasure, my addictions. I didn't even know that there was a God of the universe who wanted relationship with me. And Father, those two words by faith changed the trajectory of my life. And I got to walk out an heir, no longer a slave, but a son no longer broken but beautiful, no longer sinner but a saint. And Jesus, this is what you've done for me and I pray that you do it to people in this room, that though they may have walked in an enemy, that you would lay, let them leave as an heir, 
that they would experience the, what, the joy of being a son of God. They would experience this, the joy of being forgiven of their sin. And they would leave this place renewed and restored and redeemed by your grace. And that next week they would come back and stand on a firm foundation, stand on the grace of God and know that Jesus, the peace you provide is different than any other peace. So Father, would you do it again? You have been faithful to us. Would many leave this place changed? In your name we pray, amen, amen.